Hey, podcast listeners, want to let you know about a slight change happening to your podcast subscription in the new year. Come January 1, if you have been previously subscribed to this podcast, you will find yourself unsubscribed because we're making a switch in podcast hosts. I barely understand it myself. But what I do need to tell you is that once the new year comes, you need to search Apple Podcasts or Spotify for this podcast under the same name and resubscribe. You'll have access to all of the old content and new content will automatically be uploaded to your device. So thank you for your patience with that. And we look forward to bringing you more content as we go along. The birth of Jesus was actually pretty ordinary. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some events around his birth that were spectacular. For instance, there's three occasions of angels showing up. First to Mary, then to Joseph in a dream, and then a whole army of angels shows up to the shepherds. I mean, there's also the the miraculous event of of Mary becoming pregnant, and then a star that leads wise men from a distant place to come to a small town in Bethlehem. But the actual birth story, you don't really hear much details about it in, in the Bible. For instance, Matthew 1.25 just says, But he, which is Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That's it. She just gave birth. Or in Luke 2, 6 and 7, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In both of these stories, and these are all the stories we hear of Jesus' actual birth, there's not much there. There's actually not that much there that we've actually tended to add things over the years that you may believe is biblical, but actually we've just put in there that are extra. We've kind of tried to make it more spectacular, more sensational in in a couple different ways. Let me share a couple of them with you. The first one is that I think most of us assume that Mary had the baby on the first night she was in Bethlehem. Like they were racing to find a place for her to give birth, but nowhere in the Bible does it say it was in the first night. It could have been days, weeks, or even a month that they were there before she had birth. Uh, The second thing we kind of make more uh, spectacular is that Joseph was frantically going from inn to inn to trying to find a place for them to stay. But actually, it says that he didn't go to the inn, one. He tried one inn, or even it could be a guest room. It might not even be a place for lots of visitors to go. It could be one of his relatives or his, uh, a friend that he knew there that he would stay with them and there wasn't room at their guest room at their house. Another thing that uh, we make a little bit more spectacular is that we don't actually know if Jesus was born in a stable or a barn. It, it says he was born in a manger, the, the feeding trough, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he was in a barn because many people in, in that day in Judaic culture brought the manger into their household at nighttime. So they could have just been staying in in the main house of one of their family members' homes. Now, all these things could be true, but we're not actually sure if they're true or not. We're, We're drawn to make things more spectacular, and we're drawn to actually fill in lots of the details that we don't know. We want answers to our questions. I mean, you might have some of your questions of your own about Christmas. Like, how long did Mary actually labor and what was that process like? Or what was the sleep schedule for, ba- for Jesus afterwards? Was he really just this calm, peaceful baby or did, did he cry every once in a while? 
Or maybe you're wondering, why did Mary and Joseph have to travel while she was pregnant? Couldn't have God either made them grow up there so they were already in Bethlehem or, or, or make it somebody else who was there and they didn't have to travel? Or question I have is, why didn't they go home after the census has happened and, and baby Jesus was born? Why did they stay there for a, a period of time where Herod could try to find them and kill them? Or how did the star actually guide the wise men? All of these things are, are questions we have, and we try to fill in those details, but the Bible isn't actually clear about lots of those details, and that's because it's not as important as we may think. Because what is important is not just what happened, but why it happened. Not just how Jesus was born, but the reason he came to live. We're going to read a letter from the Apostle John. Now, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was known as, as one of the guys who went with Jesus and saw things that, that almost no other people saw. And even John himself, he calls himself the beloved of Jesus. John wrote multiple letters that we have in our Bibles today. Uh, the first was a biography of Jesus. And then he also wrote three letters to churches. Uh, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation. Revelation. Now, something interesting about John is that when Jesus was hanging on the cross dying, he actually told John to take care of his mother. In Judaic culture, uh, the eldest son was responsible for caring for the mother once their father had died. And, and because Jesus knew that he wouldn't be able to fulfill this, he actually asked John, as he was dying, to, to care for Mary. And church tradition, what, what is said to have happened is that John actually cared for Mary for years afterwards. So if anyone wanted all of the details of Jesus' birth, John could have it. He could know all of the things that, that we may question. But he didn't choose to write them down. He didn't choose to pass them on because he knew that we can get wrapped up in the details so much that we miss the point. We miss the meaning. And that's what we're going to look at. In, in 1 John 4, we're going to see what the meaning of Christmas is all about. Let's read verses 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone knows love has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So why Christmas? Jesus came, Jesus was sent because of love. He, as God, was consumed with it, and everything he did exuded love and, and care and compassion for others, and it is the reason he came. It is the meaning for Christmas. It's God's love, God's love for us. What does this look like? In, in verse 9 and 10, uh, John gives two, this is what love is, or this is how love is revealed statements, and, and love is revealed in both presence and sacrifice. And that leads us to our main point today, is that Jesus shows his love from the manger to the cross through presence and sacrifice. The first that it talks about is that love is shown through presence. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. 
he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God, God sent his one and only son. That, that term is, is a term of, of just endearment and irreplaceable value. There was only one of it. And when there's only one of something, it can't be replaced and, and it has an increased value. I found some things that are, that are irreplaceable and one of a kind on the internet. The first one is a picture from 1870 that has a great resemblance to Nicolas Cage. The person is selling it on Etsy, and he is, they are saying that it proves that Nicolas Cage is a vampire or something of the matter. You can buy it if you want for $66,000. Or you can buy some of Elvis' Elvis's hair was actually sold for $115,000. Or Mark McGuire's uh, 70th home run baseball, was uh, record-setting baseball, was bought for $3 million dollars. Now, you probably don't agree with the price of any of these items, but they were valued because they're one of a kind. If something happened to them, there's nothing else you can do to get another one. These are a one and only. So many people in our community were faced with this challenge of what are the irreplaceable things in their homes as the floods and the atmospheric river came and they're in their homes thinking, okay, what cannot be replaced? What can't insurance buy? What can't I replace over time? What do I really need? And as they're mourning some of the losses of some of these irreplaceable things that they weren't able to get to, they know the fact that when something is a one and only of its kind, it has more value. And that's what God sent to us, that his one and only son. Now, we also believe that God is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as God sent his Son, he's also sending himself to us. And he's sending himself to us, and he's showing that love requires presence. That this is, this is how God showed his love, that he sent his Son, that he came to us to be with us on earth. Now, presence looks different in a lot of different ways. I mean, presence can be a phone call or a text message or, or an encouraging email. But the most valuable, the most powerful kind of presence, I think we've all realized in one way or another, it's, it's physical being with somebody and even can be physical contact at times, hugs and, and handshakes and a pat on the back. I recently was talking to somebody who's battling cancer and they asked their doctor, how they should go about uh, all the, the, the COVID restrictions and precautions. And the doctor told them, sometimes there are more important things than COVID restrictions. Now, this person is still being wise about what they do and, and not trying to do whatever they want. But this doctor told them something profound, that love requires presence. And this kind of love is powerful. When we, when we enter somebody's world, when we, when we are with them, especially beside them and physically beside them. But I think we can all know that even though we're physically beside someone doesn't actually mean that we're showing them love and being present with one another. Spouses may recognize that they've been lying in the same bed as somebody that they do not feel close to whatsoever. Maybe you're sitting beside someone now and you just finished an argument in one way or another and, and you're beside each other, but you're not actually present. Because real presence is when we enter somebody else's world. Not just their physical world, 
but their emotional and spiritual world, their, their wants and their desires, and kind of putting aside our own to enter their world. Most of our fights that we have are because we're not getting what we want. So when we enter someone's world, when we're truly giving them our presence, we're choosing to enter their world and giving them our presence rather than holding on to our world. And that's what Jesus did. When he, when he came in a manger, he entered our world and he was present with us. He showed his love by entering our world, our pain, our sickness in, in a physical body that can, that can experience torture and humiliation and hunger and, and cold. And, and he experienced all these things throughout his life. And, and as he did this, he entered our world. In, in, a, in a profound way, Longman and Garland state that the incarnation, so the incarnation is Jesus becoming a man, is the ultimate expression of God's love for humanity. Now we can be with him because he entered our world. Uh, Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, our God is not somebody who's far off, who created the world and is, and is watching distantly. He is, wants to be close with us and he showed us that he wants to be close with us by becoming a man and, and living a full life and showing us what it is like to enter others' world. We can experience his love as we recognize what he did in the manger. And as we are united to him, we recognize that the only way we can truly be united is through his sacrifice. And that's the second part of what love requires, is that love requires sacrifice. And we read that in 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, God showed his love. This is love that God sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, we don't use the words atoning sacrifice for our sins very often. And if you do, it's probably in a Bible study or in church or something like that. Like, if you can figure out a way to send atoning sacrifice for our sins in emojis, I'd be really impressed with you and would love to see it. So I'm going to kind of break it down a little bit so we all have a, a clearer understanding, whether we're somebody who's been in church for a long time and we have all these preconceived ideas about what this is, or, or maybe we're somebody who's just exploring Christianity. We can understand what the sacrifice of Christ really means. Now, First of all, we're going to talk about sin. And, and most of us have a, a general idea of what sin is, but it's maybe not actually all correct. Like I've heard people throw around the term about, hey, that, what a sin that is. And, and sometimes I think they're right, and sometimes I don't think they're actually right of that actually being a sin. Now, sin actually comes from an archery term that means to miss the mark. So that means uh, that, that whatever we do, if it's away from our, uh, the mark, then that's a sin. Now, the mark is, is God himself. As he created us, in Genesis 1, it talks about how we are created in his image, in the image of God, he created us. So whenever we're not acting like God, whenever we're not acting out of love or generosity or patience or kindness, uh, whatever it is, if we're ever not acting that way, that is sin. 
So usually we think of sin as doing something bad, like stealing or murdering, and that's true because that's missing the mark. But also missing the mark is, is not doing good things that we should do. Not being patient or kind or generous when, when God has invited us to. So missing the mark includes a lot. I think we can all admit that at some point that we've missed the mark. I could probably come up with a few examples of me this morning uh, of ways that I've missed the mark. Martin Luther was uh, the great person who was part of the Reformation of, of the church. And, and it was said before the Reformation, he would spend up to six hours in confessional admitting all his sins. He realized that there was a lot of ways that he was falling short, that he was missing the mark. So we've all missed the mark in one way. And, and James, it talks about how if we've missed the mark in one way, we've, we've broken the whole law of God. We've become imperfect and therefore we cannot be reconciled. We cannot be with a perfect God. And that's where, where justice comes in and, and where we need a sacrifice. And that's what atoning sacrifice is all about. Because atone can simply be broken down to at one. To be made at one with God, we need to be forgiven of our sins, forgiven of all the ways that we've fallen short and come close to him. And, and so that we need this. And that's where um, an animal sacrifice came in. Back in the Old Testament, it talks about how uh, they needed to kill animals to forgive them of their sins because in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Now, death uh, is something that uh, sin it causes. Because God is the giver of life, if we miss his mark, uh, then we're causing death to come in us. And, and therefore, justice requires, for if we do sin, there needs to be a death. We don't like that. And I don't think we completely understand it because we don't understand the great cost of sin, but this is what justice demands. Now, I want you to imagine a situation. Imagine you just get a new car. Maybe it's the car you've been thinking about. It's the uh, Ford F-150 or the new Tesla or, or whatever car you've been thinking about. And you've been driving it for a few days and you're really excited about th this car. And then all of a sudden, you drive through a light and then bam. You get sideswiped by somebody. You're, you get out of the car, and, and luckily, you're fine, and nobody else is in the vehicle. But you look at your car, and it is totaled. Uh, you go over to the other person, and the other person is, is kind of in shock. So you approach them, and, and uh, you, you try to kind of get some words out of them. And, and what you find out eventually is that this person doesn't have a license. And therefore, they don't have insurance. So this person, you get their contact information, and after a few minutes of talking to them, they say, wait, I, I don't want this to go to insurance, so uh, just give me a little bit of time, and I'll, I'll make it right for you. You're like, okay, well, they talked about being, making it right, and you kind of feel sorry for them. You're not really sure what's going on. So you go home, and as you're trying to recuperate and kind of try to clear your head of what you should do next, you get a call, and the person says, you know what? Uh, I'm really sorry what happened. I'm going to buy you a new car. And... So you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess they wrecked my car and I'll go get this new car. So you arrange to meet them a couple hours later uh, at the Tim Hortons uh, drive-in where you're expecting uh, the new car to be there. And you get there and he shows up and he hands you a little toy car. You know, one that you could have gotten at the, uh, the dollar store. And he says, here you go. Uh, I'm really sorry about what happened, but I think this will make it right. 
No, that's, that's not what will make it right, because, because justice demands that you get a new car, not this little toy car. That's what justice is all about. And, and you'd probably be pretty upset and, and fuming and knowing that this is not make amends for what he did, the wrong that he did. I think sometimes that's how we can approach God with our sin. That we can come with our little toy car to God and say, here you go, God, this makes up for my sin, right? When really we have blasphemed God and his goodness, whenever we choose our own desires, whenever we choose our own wants, whenever we choose our own will above his way, whenever we choose to glorify ourselves instead of him, we've, we've wrecked our, our relationship with God and we've caused sin and death to enter it. And so the only way for justice to be appeased is for death to occur. Jesus chose to die the death that we deserve. And as, as he did that, he showed that love requires a sacrifice and he showed his great love for us when he chose to die the death that we deserve. He chose to, to take on the cross and the pain and the humiliation that this brings so that, so that we can be made at one with him. We can have a relationship with him, even though we were the ones that deserved death. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It can be hard to accept something that we don't deserve or we didn't earn. It can, it can cause angst in us. It, it, it kind of feels like we're showing a weakness or a need. And, and I think lots of us have this problem, but when we, when we don't accept something that we don't deserve, it actually is meaning that we're not receiving a love that we don't deserve. We're not re receiving real love from either God or somebody else in our lives. For some of us, this might actually look like that when somebody does something nice for us, that we have to kind of pay them back for doing it. We're in a place of actually not accepting or receiving their love because we're trying to earn it all. But we can never repay God's love for us. His perfect sacrifice of, of dying on the cross for us. We can't bring a, a, a new car to him because we don't have it. We have no ability to actually build a car to ourselves. So that's why he died for us. So we can just receive it. We can accept it and experience his freedom, reconciliation. We can find eternal significance and life everlasting as we come to him. Jesus showed his love for us from, from the cradle to the grave, from the manger to the cross. He showed that his, his presence and through his sacrifice that he loves us. This wasn't something that just happened on these two occasions. It happened throughout his life. It, it happened when he was present with, with the person who was sick. It happened when he, when he was sacrificed his own, uh, his own desires or his own will when he went and, and met with the tax collector or with the prostitute and, and took some, some hits and some embarrassment or some discouragement from other people. Jesus, throughout his life, showed his love through presence and through sacrifice. And he does it for us. He does it for me and he does it for you. God loves you. He is present and he has shown by, by sacrificing his own son for your sins. 
we like to sensationalize and make things spectacular. And this is the time of year where maybe we'll see lots of the highlight compilations of the best this of 2021. And those are fun to watch, but those don't change us. Those don't transform us. But Jesus' love that comes through presence and sacrifice can truly transform our lives. That's what I want to invite you to focus on today. That, 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 that God's love from cradle to the grave, from, from the manger to the cross, the meaning of the season is about his love for you and what that means in our lives. We can experience his love as we read the birth, the birth narrative and see his presence. But I also want to invite you this Christmas to, to read the passionate narrative, the, the story of Jesus' death and how, what his sacrifice really means for you. Because when we do this, when we receive his love, we can give it to others. 1 John 4.11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love originates from God. It comes from God. This isn't something that, that we have to do out of duty or try to earn what we, what we did, but we do it because he loves us. So we're compelled to give it to others. We're compelled to give both presence and sacrifice to others. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy because Jesus didn't find it easy to die on the cross, but we can choose to do this because we are compelled by his love. Now, I'm going to read uh, 1 John 4, 7 to 19 with you. And I want to invite you to read along with me out loud. And as we do it, meditate on God's love. Experience his love as you, as you hear about how God wants to be present with you and how he sacrificed for you. So let's read 1 John 4, 7 to 19 together. And I invite you to read it out loud. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we love is this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. During the hustle and bustle of this season, 
when you're trying to meet everybody's expectations, whether that's the work or family or your own expectations to buy all the presents, to get everything done, I want you to remember to receive God's love, to receive the, the meaning of the season that God came to show his love by being present and by sacrificing for you. This season, receive Jesus' love that he showed from the cradle to the grave. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you showed us your love by, by coming to this earth as a man and that you chose not just to live as a man, but to die the death that we deserve so that we can be present with you forever. We thank you for the Christmas season. We thank you for it, how it reminds us. And I pray that we wouldn't get distracted with everything else that is happening in our world, but that we can focus on you. I ask this all in your good and loving name. Amen.